1: L.A. Morning. We've had a lot of those over the last five months. Uh, it's it's nice and depressing weather to talk about. Quite possibly the most depressing franchise <laughs> in the NFL, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, but depressing doesn't mean not entertaining. By God, they are entertaining, and they're good-ish or they were good-ish last year. Uh, lots of ups and downs and wild swings that led to a record that a lot of people called fraudulent a lot of people called fraudulent a lot Mm -hmm. of people saw the playoff loss of the vikings coming from a mile away huh wonder who that was here's the thing though this year i promise for once is different Welcome once again to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm sure a lot of Vikings fans already turned this off, uh, mainly because they didn't want to be reminded about last year, but it's necessary. We we have to talk about a, a little bit of last year in order to give context for this year, and we're going we're gonna to go over a lot of what went wrong, schematically, personnel-wise, and, and why those holes, in our opinion, possibly have been patched, and why this might actually, for once... Be the true Vikings contender that they've been hoping for all
0: this time. Well, actually, that should be the title of this whole. Whole. Well, actually, in 22, the Vikings overall record 13 and 4. That's what caught everybody's eye. Ranking the division first. They won the NFC North. Home record of 8 and 1. Sterling defense of the home turf. Road record 5 and 3. Very solid. And last five games, 3 and 2. Not not sputtering to the finish, not sprinting to the finish, just right solid down the middle, uh, did result in a playoff berth. Something we've got for you this year is called an effectiveness summary. And we wanted to find a way to quantify whether or not a team is just good at being a football team. And what we settled on for our metric there is EPA per play. And we divided that into offense and defense. In offense, it's rushing and passing. In defense, it's stopping the run and stopping the pass. And then the other important thing about football, scoring more points than your opponent. So points scored and points allowed. That gives us six metrics that overall give us a picture of how a team did uh, in a particular season. So last year, rushing offense for the Vikings, 25th in the league. I don't think that'll surprise a lot of Vikings watchers. Yeah. Passing offense, 10th, top 10. I don't think that'll surprise a lot of Vikings watchers either. That was pretty that what shows up in the numbers Shows up on tape. In terms of rush defense, not terrible. 14th, middle of the pack, and that's good enough these days in the NFL. Pass defense in terms of coverage, EPA per play against. Twenty first. I'm surprised
1: dry. it was even that high. I'm I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. They were horrible. They I were was so bad. too.
0: I was actually <laughs> expecting a number in the mid 20s and to come out closer to 20. Um, it's a little bit of a victory, uh, but still not great. One of the Achilles' heels of this team. And then we get into points scored. They scored 424 points, seventh in the entire league. Very good offense. Their offense powered this team to the wins it got. Points allowed, 427. So points differential, negative three. Points allowed was 28th in the NFL. So they scored a lot because they had to, because they allowed a lot. So all that to say, those numbers are pretty reflective of the way they played. We wanted to come up with a score with an average. So we came up with something we call the bootleg power score, where we take those six numbers, which are their league ranks and those categories, and then we average them out. The raw score for the Vikings was 17 and a half. We round that down to 18th. And it's like golf score. If you get a one, it's great. If you get a 32, it's terrible. Nobody in the league is going to get that because nobody averaged all terrible or all great. But the Vikings were very middle of the road, which is what a lot of us said about the Vikings in season and helped us predict their playoff demise because we said that 13 and four record does not accurately reflect what they actually are as a football team and i actually think this power score really reflects who the vikings were they were right down the middle they scored 424 and allowed 427. a rank of 18th seems about right
1: they were a 13 win team with a negative point differential like Correct. i don't know if that's ever happened before it means that all of their wins they were barely squeaking them out through at, at sometimes like ridiculous circumstances like the bills game was crazy and they they kept winning those types of games but then when they would lose mostly against teams that were just straight up better than them they got blown out and so you know being 18th in power score even though they were a 13 win team it kind of makes sense because a lot of their wins were just really funky and we're not saying they're they were a bad team they were solidly in the middle of the league they just were really really crazy in fourth quarters and it's hard to project that continuing going into 2023 that being said i think their roster and their overall team got better to the point where they're not going to have to pull magic out of their ass in the fourth quarter 13 times uh, you know to win that many games so i think that even if they don't win as many games this year i still think they're going to be a better team which sounds
0: odd but with them specifically it's true I fully agree. This could be an 11-win team, which is two less than they won last year. That goes farther in the playoffs. And be stronger, be (laughs) better as a football team overall. So I'm right there with you. You know, one of the big uh,
1: changes that was made that I think is going to really catapult them was, you know, obviously moving on from Donatel, bringing in Flores. Because schematically, and this is kind of the part of the show where we look at a lot of the scheme numbers to explain the EPA stuff. Schematically, their defense was just kind of a mess. And I did a whole yes. breakdown on it in the middle of last season, basically explaining why they were so terrible. And a lot of it was because they they kind of drank too much of the Fangio tree Kool-Aid. And they were trying to run a defense that their personnel just didn't fit. Uh, they were running more quarter quarter half than anybody else at 27%. Like nobody runs quarter quarter half that much. They ran it 27% of the time, by far first in the league. Um, they ran quarters, about average, and they supplemented the quarters with the quarter, quarter, half stuff. But they were 30th in cover three, didn't really play out of cover three. They were 25th in straight up man coverage, single high safety, cover one. Um, you know, They were 21st in cover two. Like They really stuck to the quarters and quarter, 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 quarter half principle. And they were so utterly predictable in that that teams were able to dictate matchups like i remember a play where uh you know ben johnson from the lions like knew what they were in clearly knew what they were in and he got zadarius smith uh matched up on Amon ross a brown and it's like what are we doing here you know it it was it was a very predictable defense very predictable coverage schemes and they just didn't have the dbs to do it either like they had a whole bunch of like bigger corners that i felt were going to be better in press coverage they were making them play seven eight yards off in space and it's I don't know. I, I think that change alone in defensive coordinator and therefore change in cover schemes is going to be worth maybe like eight places in, in EPA. I'm not even kidding. It's going to be, make that big of a difference.
0: Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. And it was one of the moves I was most excited about. There's probably, I would say, a handful of assistant coaches or coordinators who, when they landed with their new team, I was like, Okay, that's a significant increase. That's really going to change the outcomes of that team. Maybe not immediately. They're going to have to get the personnel. They're going to have to get used to the scheme. But overall, especially back half of the season, when they hopefully start to gel like that's going to be a better unit down the stretch. And Brian Flores landing with the Vikings was one of those. Um, And I can guarantee that cover three number will not be 30th. (laughs) At the end of this next year.
1: And the cover one number won't be 25th because they yeah. still have a bunch of man corners, in my opinion, like Booth and um, they got Mikai Blackman in the draft who will go over, you know, Caleb Evans, Byron Murphy. Well, Murphy's going to be more of a nickel for them, but like all those guys are really good in man specifically. Yeah. They're going to run a shitload of man for once and they're going to be way better because of that. Uh, now, looking at blitz percentage, Donatel, again, coming from that Fangio side, they were 14th. Uh, in third and short pressures. They were 21st and third and medium. They were 18th and third and seven plus. They didn't really blitz a whole lot. They were below average at most. I think that's going to go up significantly this year again as well. So it's going to be a more aggressive defense, which I think fits what they have. Um, and there are, they are going to get got a few times, which will happen with a Flores defense. Like he he lets his DBs go be DBs. And so they will get got, but more often than not, considering the types of dudes they have in the secondary, big mm-hmm. physical beat them up type corners. I don't know. I, I speaking from a bears perspective, I'm a lot more worried about this defense than I was last year
0: doing what we do for work. We are fans of the NFL. Yes. I'm a bears fan. Yes. He's a Texans fan and a bears fan. And I was of two minds about Flores landing with the Vikings. It was like, ooh, cool for Vikings fans. Oh, Vikings aren't going to be an easy out anymore on defense. That's a bummer. Um, Now you're not only going to have to score to keep up with that high-powered offense, but you're going to have to work for the points you get. Um, Yeah, you might get lucky and catch them in zero, right? And if your quarterback makes a play, yeah, you have the chance. It's high risk, high reward. But once they learn how to cover up those holes, once they start to work together, it's going to be a dangerous defense. They still have some dudes and they were underperforming. Now even if they perform what we expect sort of up to level or a few of them start to excel, it's going to be a lot more difficult when you go in to play the Vikings.
1: Now, looking at their offensive numbers, you know, their their run scheme um, was pretty predictable last year, not predictable in a bad way, predictable in the sense we knew what they were going to do. Yeah. Um, they were second and outside zone. With the offensive line they built and the running back room they had, like yeah, it, like that was what they did best, and they really leaned into that. Um, they were 19th in inside zone again. They it's not that they were bad at inside zone, but they really wanted to get their guys um, moving laterally so they could find a crease and hopefully hit it front side. Or if not, they have running backs with really good feet that can kind of slam on the brakes and hit backside. So it's less of a vertical run game, more of a horizontal and then vertical run game for them. Um, didn't do a whole lot of gap scheme stuff. They were 16th in duo, 22nd in power, 30th in counter. Considering that for me with, you know, with with the running backs they have, I thought maybe they could have hit counter more, but they just, they didn't really do it that much. Um, And then like pin and pull stuff, they were 25th. So they really leaned into outside zone more than anything else by far. And they're still Probably going to do that again this year. Mm-hmm. The key difference is, now it's not official as of the time of us recording this. This is, what, June 4th. This comes out in a couple weeks. Dalvin Cook is probably gone, like 90% gone at this point. Even Schefter tweeting out that he's probably gone, which means it's going to be the Madison Show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or, or rather, plus, <laughs> the Ty Chandler Show. Both of those guys also were great fit for outside zone. So they're still going to do the same thing, but with younger backs. And I don't particularly think, and I want to say this carefully because I, this is not a shot at Dalvin. I don't think there's going to be a drop-off.
0: No, Madison is one of the backs in the league. He reminds me a lot of, not necessarily in terms of style, but in terms of production and placement on his team of Tony Pollard. Oh, yeah. yeah. right. He's the, He was the second for a long time, but he would come in and produce plays That were really good or khalil herbert behind david montgomery right you're thinking oh it's not the starter comes in and always tends to make good gains makes good plays in the passing game and i'm with you it it's a name downgrade because dalvin's been there for so long and and been so productive a lot of people oh we're losing our star and i'm like you're giving another guy a chance to shine who's proved in his limited opportunities he is more than capable and then you get down to Ty Chandler and, you know, one of our favorites that we got to see at Bowl uh, last year when he was drafted, um, I had him ranked much more highly than he ended up going. And he's got a lot of ability too. And when he gets on the field, he can very capably fill that Madison role, that number two, that there's not a ton of drop-off. So overall, I'm really excited about the running back room. I do hope that they change it up a little bit more just for the sake of their offense. If I had to make a, for those of you that watch college football, if I had to make a college football comparison, the Vikings run game is like Missouri. Like they just (laughs) run outside zone. That's what they do. And they're really good at it. Yeah, Like those guys are all polished, and it's almost like they didn't want to screw them up. Like, hey, we know you're right-handed. We're not going to make you use your left hand. We're running outside zone. But with those backs, they're both really shifty. They both have juice. I think throwing in a few more change-ups of, hey, we're going to run counter right? We're going to run some of that pin and pull stuff. Um, We're going to do things that you don't expect us to do occasionally just to keep you honest. And I think that works at all levels of offense, rushing, passing, whatever, throwing in the occasional gotcha play, you know, and making it in their case more than (laughs) extremely occasional, I think would be really beneficial to this run scheme.
1: Now, looking at the passing game, uh, this one, again, if you watch a lot of Vikings football also probably will not surprise you at all. Uh, they were 13th in play-action percentage. Uh, Kirk got the ball out fairly quickly, uh, which is kind of a reflection of the offensive line. When they were healthy, the offensive line I thought was good in pass prediction. They have one of, if not the best overall tackle duo in the NFL as well. He was 13th fast in terms of time to throw. Um, air yards percentage was 13th which a lot of that was solely because of Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne. Occasionally, KJ Osborne like has one of those random like Osborne games where he just takes over. Guarantee you his air yard percentage is just from those two guys alone. Uh, average depth of target, though, was 18th. So it's that, to me, reflects that they don't get a whole lot of yards after the catch as a team— which is why the air yards percentage is so high. But Kirk, for the most part, other than when he's targeting Jefferson down the field or Osborne down the field like a few times a year, or, or rather a few games a year when Osborne goes off, um, they, they were not a very vertical passing game overall. And they more relied on those two guys winning vertically to get their chunks rather than somebody breaking off stuff underneath and, and running with it. Hopefully that made sense. Um, maybe we could put up some fancy graphics to, to show <laughs> maybe Jay will that. bail us out on that one. Um, um, big time throw percentage, 13th. Again, a lot of that was Kirk saying, God, <laughs> Justin's down there somewhere, down there somewhere. Fuck somewhere. It. and it worked out. Uh, and YPA overall was 11th again, more than solid. So the passing game to me was very reflective uh, statistically of also what you saw on film, which is when they get chunks, it's throwing bombs to those two receivers. Well, now it's going to be three because you got Addison there. Um, they were not great in the screen game. They were not great in terms of taking a hitch, breaking a tackle, and taking off. They they really did rely on those on those receivers to get their chunks. Um, but it worked out for them. And Kirk overall was good. You know, overall the pass protection was good, at least at the tackle position. Um, and I have no reason to think that this is going to regress, because their receiving core uh-huh. is better this year. Yep. And no shade at Adam Thielen, they needed more juice, uh-huh. and they needed juice in particular from Addison, who can not only stretch the field but also make stuff happen after the catch. Like he was exactly what they needed to pump up, you know that that average depth or that area or the, excuse me. <laughs> There's so many fucking numbers at this point to pump up the yards after catch percentage like they they really needed help there. And Addison's going to help with that. So I overall, I think their are passing. It's going to be better.
0: Yeah. Like we said at the top, in terms of them getting better guys, they got better guys. Adam Thielen, you know, a Vikings hero from his sort of origin story all the way through his very productive years to what he was last year, which is a, a good, solid technician with some size. Still a good route runner, but didn't have juice and wasn't going to get you a lot after he made the reception. He was the guy to go out on third and five, post up at six yards, make the tough catch, move the chains. And there's a role for that on a football team. But if you want to be explosive and stay ahead of the curve, you need to go get a guy like Jordan Addison. And so that upgrade is going to help some of those numbers. Um, Again, I feel like Kirk Cousins is one of the players throughout the entire league that is a sort of lightning rod. When you start talking about Kirk Cousins, you just know you're going to have a conversation one way or another. It's not going to be normal. It never is. (laughs) He's either God or he's terrible, and he falls somewhere in between. Um, A lot of people probably get angry at this, but he's a lot like Jared Goff with a slightly better deep ball. Mm, You know...
1: I might argue for Goff's deep ball a little bit. Sure. I will say Kirk will pull out more random, insane deep balls that just make no sense, but they somehow work. But Goff, I would say in terms of like consistency, Mm. I I really think, not to talk too much about the Lions because we were talking about them yesterday, but I really do think that when Jameson gets back on the field, people are going to be reminded of like, you know, late 2010s golf with the Rams where when he would let it go, he can send it. It was fucking pretty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: so I would say like golf's is more consistent, but Kirk does have more wow throws.
0: Yeah. And when he gets on a heater, he is uh, I've called him the microwave for years because he won't heat up and won't heat up. He'll play, you know, solid, but very average football for long stretches, even within a game or a couple of games in a row. And then he gets hot. Mm-hmm. And when Kirk Cousins is hot, I am here to tell you there are a few quarterbacks in the NFL that he is not better than. He's, he is a top 10 quarterback when he's hot. Easily. And it doesn't happen all the time. And that makes it frustrating. Um, you know, you talked about at the top of the show that the Vikings results are up and down. Kirk Cousins play is up and down. But when it is up, it, he has some extremely high highs. Now, looking at the power structure at B,
1: you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the picks they've made. We talked about the schemes and the systems and and things that we expect to either change or stay the same going into mm-hmm. this year. Uh, take us through the power structure and all these guys that are calling these schemes in the first place.
0: Yeah, so right at the top, executive vice president and GM, he holds both those titles. Questia uh, Adolfo Mensah, he's been there a couple of years. Uh, a very interesting choice when he took over. Um, More analytic space for sure was sort of the headline, but I think he's proven to be able to lean on the football side as well and not go too heavy into that, but also integrate that and sort of drag the Vikings along with him, uh, which needed to happen. Kevin O'Connell is the head coach. Uh, we were just talking about the Rams a lot. Kevin O'Connell, with his offensive coordinator experience there, has proven a very adept head coach. He pulled the right levers last year and got this team to 13 wins, and he deserves credit for that because the defense was flawed and he knew that. He knew he couldn't rely on that, and he knew he had to press the gas extremely hard on offense to get them where they got. And he won the division. As a young coach, that's a feather in his cap. So very solid head coach for the Vikes. Um, In terms of coordinators, I think one of the reasons for that is there is an assistant head coach, as there often is, and that's Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin's been a head coach himself, and he can support a young head coach and be that sort of moderator to say, a little too high, a little too hot here, a little too low, need a little bit more energy, um, and really sort of take out some of those mistakes with experience. Not a name you're gonna hear a lot, it's more behind the scenes, but I think it absolutely contributes to the Vikings' success. Offensive coordinator Wes Phillips. Look, (laughs) the Vikings offense was good, very good. They scored a lot of points. We think it's probably gonna be even better. Yes, there's some changeover in personnel, but like we said, we don't think there's a huge drop-off there. Talked about defensive coordinator Brian Flores coming in in his first year. And really, he's going to transform that defense. We'll see how effective that is and how well it meshes with personnel. Um, But overall, we both have higher hope for that defense. Our ceiling for the defense, if you will, is higher. Uh, And then special teams coordinator Matt Daniels. Uh, They had some juice on special teams last year. But like most special teams around coaches around the league, he's probably bemoaning the NFL's decision to kind of effectively sideline kickoffs. Um, Still hate it. We'll, we'll see what he's going to be able to do. In terms of other notable coaches they have on offense, Keenan McCardell is their wide receivers coach, mm-hmm. and he's got a loaded room. And this is a guy with a 17-year career in the NFL, was a very effective receiver himself. He had success with the receiving core last year as it was composed. He's got to be licking his chops for the addition of Jordan Addison. Uh, anytime you're a position coach in the NFL and your organization grants you a high pick uh, in your room, Uh, You obviously have say in that decision, and he's got to be thrilled. He already had two very good, a great wide receiver, possibly the best wide receiver in the NFL, a very underrated wide receiver in K.J. Osborne, who's really developed since he hit the league, and now he's got Jordan Addison. That's as good a three as there are certainly in the division. Um, And then Curtis Modkins, the running back coach. We talk about all the success that Dalvin Cook and um, Madison have had. Um, Modkins, 28 years as a coach. Yeah, it's a lot of experience. He's worked with Dalvin Cook, Madison, and four other thousand yard rushers, Philip Lindsay, Jordan Howard when he was in Chicago, Reggie Bush later in his career, and C.J. Spiller. If for those of you that remember C.J. Spiller, when he went over a thousand yards, Modkins was his coach at the time. So ton of experience working with a bunch of different backs, um, explosive guys, power guys, um, one of the reasons I think that we think there's not going to be a huge drop off in the Vikings running game because they have very solid coaching behind it as well as good players. So the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and Joe's are taken care of in Minnesota on defense and special teams. Chris Rumpf, uh, the DL coach, um, his college football coaching resume is just like who's who of power five. He's worked at Alabama, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, yep. um, He's also coached for Houston and Chicago in the NFL, and his son was drafted by the Rams last year, plays for them. Uh, and then Mike Smith is the outside linebacker and pass rush specialist coach. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of these hybrid titles in the NFL. He's got his work cut out for him. He's got very good players. Um, they did not They did okay, <laughs> much like a lot of their sort of EPA stats. They were okay in their pass rush. But if you're going to support a Flores blitz heavy defense where there's a lot of man you gotta get to the quarterback and he'll uh he'll be i think key in arranging that part of the strategy which is really important to flores now flores is going to have a hand in that because he's coached that position before as well uh but mike smith he's got his work cut out for him he's got to support that defense overall get the new pieces up to speed and bottom line his guys have to get to the quarterback i am
1: really intrigued by uh their pickup of andre carter in terms of learning under Smith, because Carter, A, he went undrafted, but he shouldn't have been undrafted. Like there was no way, no way he should have been undrafted, but he's a talented kid, very talented kid. He's like six, seven, seven. but with legit bend and burst. And you know, the, the testing numbers, I don't totally believe yeah, because we, we know service academy kids, like they're training for the NFL's different than a lot of the guys that start training like January, right? Yeah. So um, I, I just know what I saw on tape, which is that Andre Carter's a good football player, yes. and and I think that he's gonna be kind of a, getting a lot more snaps than people think, mm-hmm. um, specifically because of the rest of the rotation is Daniil Hunter, um, you got Marcus Davenport there, DJ Wanham's there. Like they, mm-hmm. they have guys, but it's not guys to the point that I think that Carter's not gonna get snaps. He will get snaps no. in that group. Um, also, Ivan Pace, who we'll talk about when we get to their rookies, uh, yes, another one of their free agents that should not have been a free agent. There's
0: something there that we don't know about for sure. Talk
1: about their blitz percentage going up. Ivan Pace is why. <laughs> like they're going to send him a lot. So yeah, overall, uh, power structure is is very very strong for Minnesota. They wouldn't have won 13 games without having good coaching. As weird as some of those wins were. Uh, now, after going over all that, the scheme information, the scheme changes that we expect. Um, the scheme consistencies that we expect, the coaching staff. We've talked about a few different players here. In terms of where we're investing in this offense, where we're focusing on this offense when it comes to fantasy, which, by the way, Underdog Fantasy has fully agreed to fund this show for some godforsaken reason for the next two years. They are now... Our main sponsor, our main partner, and our main source of uh, existence, and we very much thank them. And I still can't believe we tricked them into doing that. But if you are a Vikings fan and you are very into best ball fantasy or pickems or anything like that, and you're wondering which Vikings player am I getting the best value on, it's not Justin Jefferson. No. Spoiler alert: he's a uh, great player. <laughs> he's not a great value. His ADP is literally the first overall pick. So unless you're picking first, you're not getting Justin Jefferson. That being said, Alexander Madison, who we brought up earlier, mm-hmm. as of the day of recording this, is going at RB25. 79 is his ADP. He's going super late, and I guarantee you the day Dalvin gets moved or they move on from him, whatever whatever manner that happens in, uh, his ADP ain't going to be 79. So if you're going to draft him, for those you know, $15 million prize pools for Best Ball Mania going on right now, you better do it now, like before Dalvin is gone. Because he's going to go up 30 spots Yep. once it's clear that he is the lead back in a run-heavy offense that fits the skill set, that's super explosive, that's going to get a lot of red zone opportunities. He's not going to be RB25. He's going to be like RB15. So if you're going to do it, do it now. Promo code bootleg. They'll match your deposit. But I highly recommend you draft him now rather than drafting in August cuz you're not going to get value then. Um the rest of the passing game specifically, we mentioned KJ Osborne for best ball especially where we don't need him to to have monster games every now and then, we just need him to have like two or three mm-hmm. which he will do because he's KJ Osborne. He'll yep. just show up randomly and get like 150 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he's going to wide receiver 68. He's like a last round pick basically. Or no, it'd be like 13th, 14th round, which is close to the last round. But he's going to yep. wide receiver 68. He's gonna be on every single one of my teams yep. because in best ball, you don't have to do sits and starts. It's just whoever scores the most gets counted. Uh, and then Addison is at wide receiver 35. Also a little bit lower than I expected. So I'm not I'm not going after Jefferson because typically I'm not picking first, but everybody after Jefferson you're still getting at insane value. And so overall, I'm probably going to have a lot of Vikings on my teams.
0: Yeah, Madison, I would jump for. I would have already jumped for. Um, KJ Osborne, I would absolutely grab because in terms of value, especially for best ball, he's not a name, and he produces well above his name level, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So those are guys you want because you can wait And they are, in a best ball format, going to come in and contribute in big ways. And everybody's like, oh, everybody else is after the names. Don't be after the names. Be after the production and understand that it's not about game to game, week to week consistency or picking the hot hand on that week. If he's on your team, you're getting all his points. And he will provide points if you look at it from a season-long strategy. And at wide receiver 68, it's too low. He has experience in the system. He hasn't changed quarterbacks. They were, you know, explosive last year in the passing game, and he was a big part of that. Um, bunch of value to be had on the Vikings team. So in
1: best ball, like, playoff time where, you know, it's there's, like, regular season and then there's, you know, the, the playoffs where you're really pushing for the, the, the 15 millions here. In f- two of the last four games they played, when you're making that final push – he got 10 catches for a buck fifty-seven and a touchdown. And then he got five catches for a buck 17. Like, he won somebody a million dollars last yeah, year. For sure. So I don't know. KJ Osborne, perennially disrespected at this point. One of the better wide receiver threes in the league. Very explosive. I love the kid. I'm going to have him on every single team just because I get him basically for free. Uh now we've talked a little bit about. You know, them remaking the defense, <laughs> um, them giving slight uplifts to the offense. But part of that makeover was jettisoning, jettisoning a lot of talent, yeah. trying to find guys that fit better than last year's group. So the, uh, the free agency, quote unquote, losses list is pretty darn extensive for Minnesota and one of the meatiest lists that we
0: might have this entire process. It's really significant, and it's very much like the list we talked about yesterday with the Lions. Minnesota absolutely cleaned house in the secondary. They decided they needed different dudes pretty much top to bottom. Um, Chandon Sullivan, Patrick Peterson, Duke Shelley, Cameron Dantzler, All those guys were moved. That's a significant portion of your snaps. Sullivan was 81%. Peterson, 95%. Duke Shelley, 34%, but he was playing nickel for them, and he actually played pretty well. Dantzler, another 43%. You just whacked your secondary snaps and basically are rebuilding it in the image of your new defense. Along with that, we talked about Adam Thielen moving on, longtime Viking. Eric Kendricks, another longtime Viking, played for them at linebacker. Dalvin Tomlinson moves on to the Browns. He was 50% of their snaps. Uh, they trade Darius Smith. He was 66% of their snaps. He also ends up at the Browns. Uh, so, repairs with Dalvin Tomlinson. There's a lot of names. We didn't even talk about Irv Smith. Irv Smith Jr. was hurt last year. We were both really excited about his prospects. He got hurt. Um, Again. Again, like that's his thing. We get excited about him. He gets hurt. I really hope he stays healthy, especially with his new team. Um, I think he could be very good on the Bengals, but Vikings were done with that experiment. But there are a lot of longtime Vikings here. If We counted up the snaps, not just from last year, but like over their tenure with the Vikings. We're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of snaps that they moved on from in free agency um, and a lot of key contributors. Now, they had a plan for that in terms of who they re-signed and, and who they went out and got, and then we'll get to the draft. Um, there There is a plan, but this is significant movement of what I would call uh, very important talent and a talent that featured very prominently. These are guys that played a lot, typically in these move-on lists. Those snap percentages are much lower. Um, for the Vikings, not the case. This is a definitive move, and it's a big one. You mentioned that
1: they had a plan uh, – that you could tell based on who they (laughs) re-signed and what they're kind of prioritizing scheme wise. Like you can literally see it in who they retained, what their priorities were like Madison. Obviously he's back. We expect Dallin to move on probably by the time this gets posted, but they also brought back CJ Mm Ham. Like they, this is a team that really wants to lean into outside zone from 21 personnel, like very like, you know, Gary Mm -hmm. Kubiak-ish type mindset uh, on offense. Like, that's what they do, especially with Kirk Cousins, who his entire career he's been in that type of offense. Um, Like, even going back to Washington, like, that's what he came up in. That's what he does. He is under center in a typically bigger personnel grouping, you know, with two back runs that he can then bootleg off of. And you know, throw deep shots off play action deep down the field. Like that's that's what Kirk does well. well. And they're leaning into that again. You know, Bradbury started out his career rough, has slowly gotten better and better and better. I still don't think he's like an elite center, but um you know, he's not paid like an elite center. I was gonna it's like, say it's like they five payment like five point two, five point three million. Yeah. But you know, that he is the 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 typical smaller, quicker center mm-hmm. that that you want in a zone run game. I wish he was stronger um, Mm -hmm. and more consistent, but you know, the fact that he has ascended through the last three years and at least gotten better means that, okay, maybe if they just keep investing more and more, he'll, he'll eventually become what they drafted him when they took him super high. Um, And then Jordan Hicks, like still kicking around. They just needed a rough and tumble ass kicker in the box to help stop the run. Um, And so keeping him around, which is that's what he does well, they they kind of couldn't afford to let him walk out the door because he was their only linebacker on the team that could really do that in terms of like getting off blocks, stopping a guard dead in their tracks, creating traffic jams in the line of scrimmage like that's his role. And that's what he does well. Um, And then Tonga, he only played about a quarter of their snaps last year. They also brought him back um as as a pretty significant part of the rotation even mm-hmm. though his snap count isn't like overwhelming like they do need him significantly so you could really tell like what they were prioritizing um just based on their retentions versus who they let walk out the door and i think that they they're not changing their image they're just leaning even more heavily into it
0: yeah, on offense, I would agree with that. And on the defensive retentions, I'm really glad that Jordan Hicks got brought back. Jordan Hicks for a few years was a guy that bounced around one-year deal, one-year deal, got signed late, that sort of thing. And it was like, he felt sort of underappreciated. He was good in his, his original stop. He you know earned the right to play several times, even over high draft picks, um, got moved on, kind of did the same thing by the end of the year. It was always Jordan Hicks in the middle of the field, calling signals like he can be counted on ganny moves even after that experience ends up with the vikings and it's nice to see him sort of get re-upped he's not going to get necessarily to play in the same system but again the guy coming in wanted him And he gets to be there and do it at least two years in a row in one city. I feel good for him. And then Kirstonga is like, he has one role. He is that inside ass kicker stump against the run. He's going to take that part of Dalvin Tomlinson's role. He's not going to provide everything else that Dalvin does. But, um, you know, to get that for less than a million dollars and say, you know, basically go in and make sure nobody goes by you. Um, he's able to do that. It's a lower name pickup, but I, it's key because you need to replace those snaps somehow. So they say, "Look, we'll we'll basically get this half with this guy, and we'll pay less than a million bucks." It's a smart move. In terms of
1: third-party additions, uh, Marcus Davenport was the most expensive, uh, thirteen million, which sounds like a lot of money for Marcus Davenport, but also when you look at the edge market as a whole, that's still less than. It's mid. Yeah, it's like less than half of what the top edge is making, so it's not, it's not that bad. Uh, Josh Oliver at $7 million um, brought him in from the Ravens. Uh, Dean Lowry, they brought him in from the Packers. Uh, I, get, I can't be too mad at $4.2 million, but I was like, eh, okay, whatever. He's a guy. He's a downy. He's, He's a rotational guy. Yeah. The, the one that really excited me the most out of all of these, though, uh, was Byron Murphy, who was a really good nickel. And by God, they needed a really good nickel <laughs> for this defense, and so him making about eight point seven, I was honestly I was a little bit surprised it was only eight point seven, yeah. um, but it is it is kind of a, a prove it flavor of deal, and I think he's gonna end up getting a lot more than that in a couple of years. But Byron Murphy, really good player, um, huge loss for Arizona in my opinion, and you know we'll get to Arizona eventually, but like that secondary
0: after they lost Byron was. Rough. And uh, their loss is Minnesota's game. Absolutely love Byron Murphy, former Husky, good size, really athletic, loves man. And they needed that it feels like an upgrade. And, and that might sound strange to some Vikings fans, because again, the folks they lost were high draft picks. The guys they lost were big names uh, with long pedigrees in the NFL. Um, Murphy, a bit more of a newcomer, not, you know, not fresh out of school, that's for sure, but played very well for a franchise where he didn't get a lot of press. Um, Again, low name value, sort of high on-field value. They split the difference a little bit with the contract there. They're gambling. He's going to stay healthy. He's had some issue with that. Um, But if he stays healthy, that's going to look like a steal. Now, looking at their
1: draft class, not the biggest draft class. No, no. But also one of the most exciting in terms of the guys they got, uh, especially in the first three rounds, both of their USC kids, Addison and Blackman, I am extraordinarily excited
0: by. But um, yeah, it it was a lean class, but a very good one overall. Yeah, I got really excited at the top. The Jordan Addison pick, we've already talked about Addison quite a bit. Um, His fit with this offense specifically. We knew they were going to move on from Thielen, and it was like, that's his spot. It's not, oh, go earn it, Rook, or anything else. He is starting week one as wide receiver three. Yeah. Like, specifically in the slot, probably. Absolutely inside. Like, we talk about great fits. This was one when it came off the board. I was like, oh, that's awesome for Jordan Addison as a Bears fan. Oh, that's a bummer. That makes their receiving core better than it was without question. Uh Makai Blackman from USC, the corner they get in round three. So no round two pick for them at 102 overall. I wasn't as wild about him. I saw the appeal on tape and again, I'm higher on him given his fit and the fact that they brought Flores in.
1: Oh, I love that pick so much.
0: I know you love that pick more than I did. I like it more because of who they brought in. If they'd kept their old defense and drafted him, I would have been maybe even more lukewarm on it if that's a thing. Um... I see the potential upside. I wasn't as high on him as you, but I like the fit and landing spot, and that always elevates a rookie for me. Here, here's, before we continue, my,
1: my feelings on Blackman specifically and why I love that pick for them is because you look at what he does, mm-hmm. and it's literally line up and press, take dudes away in man, be ultra competitive, yeah. you know, the definition of a junkyard dog at corner. They tested him constantly in the pac 12 Constantly. His target numbers were insane, but he didn't really get beat. He had, like, I think it was 25, 26 forced incompletions, something like that, last year. He was by far one of the most productive corners in the entire country, despite being targeted so heavily. Never backed down, ultra physical, way better gas in terms of, you know, scooting deep down the field than people give him credit for. Legit 4 4 speed. I fucking love that kid. Like, he's going
0: to be so good for them. I think he's going to start week one. I bet he does with the way they've, uh, you know, changed their secondary. And some people will be like, he's their second pick. Of course he's going to start. He's a, he's a round three rookie, right? That's not a guarantee. Round three rookies don't always just come in and, and make things happen. I think he probably will. Uh, they go back to the well in round four, pick 134 for another corner. Jay Ward out of LSU. Was a little mid on that one, but again, he fits what they want him to do. He's got good size, he's physical, he is not afraid to get up and mix it up, and that's definitely what they're looking for with this change in the secondary. Round five, pick 141. They get another LSU player, a <laughs> big old stump in the middle. They are looking for run stopping in Jacqueline Roy, the defensive tackle. Round five. 164 overall, this is where I get excited again. QB Jaron Hall out of BYU, player I was hot on last year. Knew he wasn't coming out last year, but I uh, was watching some other players coming out of BYU and said, man, this quarterback at BYU, he, there's something going on here, he can play. Not the biggest guy, right about at six foot, very mobile, better than you think arm, and when you look at his stats compared to other quarterbacks in this class, to me it's surprising he wasn't talked about more. He is uh the one thing about fit is is interesting for him in minnesota is he is not like their starter at all like he is a completely different flavor that's going to work for them when he goes to work simulating mobile quarterbacks for other teams on the scout team um, in terms of coming in like can you run the exact same offense um, that's gonna be a lot of work for him he is not an under center quarterback at his size Um, they run more spread concepts at BYU. Uh, yeah, they ran some play action, but it was typically out of pistol. So in terms of like match and, Oh, if Kirk goes down, everything's just going to be seamless. Uh, There's a lot of development there, but I, I love the tools. I love the eventuality for Jaron Hall. And then in round seven, pick two twenty-two. I know this surprised a lot of people, but it didn't really surprise us. Dwayne McBride out of university of Alabama, Birmingham. Um, Great runner of the football, great, pure runner of the football, contributes almost nothing in the passing game, is not a great pass protector and fumbles, which is why even though you saw all those highlights, I even mentioned him in the 10 gems as an honorable mention, uh, in that episode, as a player, I just loved watching loved watching him run the football. But when you started to get in and poke around the edges and all the other things running backs need to do to be successful, it's like, oh, he's not going as high as people think he is with all the highlights. Um, needs to be able to pass protect. He's got his work cut out for him. But if he can, again, be one of those rookies that develops under a very good running back coach, they'll have something there. He's not going to see the field right away. My comp for uh,
1: McBride specifically was a, a human weeble wobble. Because <laughs> he does not fall down ever. Like, he mm. is so freaking hard to tackle. I know he fumbles a lot. Uh, I know third down ability is pretty much nothing. Yeah. But that's why he went in the seventh round. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be the new RB3 now that, you know, Dalvin's likely moving on and Madison's going to be RB1 and Chandler's going to be RB2. And, you know, he's going to be fighting with uh, with Kenny for, for RB3, so, although Kenny's more a special teamer for them. But, like, you know, you're getting RB3 in the seventh round? Like, who cares? Like, he's just so freaking hard to tackle. I wouldn't be surprised if they give him goal line work. I really wouldn't be, you know, which maybe will will cut into Madison's value, like, a little bit. But I'm not saying he's going to be, like, the main goal line guy. But if they're going to give him work anywhere, it's yeah. going to be there, right? So uh, I, I like the McBride pick
0: pick a lot, um, Mm -hmm. even with his warts, because of the seventh round selection. It's an absolute lottery ticket. Yeah. Right? We know we're getting great running ability. We got to work on the stuff around the edges. That's why we get the value. Let's go.
1: Now, looking at the UDFA class, we we talked about a couple of these guys already, but it was one of the more exciting UDFA hauls in the league, specifically because they got guys like Andre Carter, who could play eventually not insignificant snaps in that edge rotation. He's a very talented guy And between him and Davenport. Clearly they have a type, mm-hmm. you know, let's just get really tall, big
0: athletic, you know, crazy athletes, bursty
1: yeah. guys. Yep. Um, and so, you know, he went undrafted for reasons that I, I really feel for him because if he didn't go to army and he went to like another power five program, he probably would not have even gotten close to being a UDFA because he's, Legitimately very talented. Mm -hmm. But he went to a service academy. Those guys tend to fall uh, for reasons kind of beyond their control. Um, Good kid, good good player, really rooting for him. Uh, Ivan Pace, arguably, actually maybe not even arguably, the best pass rushing inside linebacker in this class. He might only get third down work uh, to start. But that third down work is going to be incredibly valuable because he is so freaking good at getting after quarterbacks. And this is going to be a blitz-heavy team. We know he's going to get work just doing that, and then they'll they'll kind of mix him in doing other stuff down the road. Uh, And then Jalen Williams, the corner out of Indiana, also. Again, this is a corner room that they are trying to remake. Uh, I would not be surprised if he makes the final 53. Like, not even a practice squad guy. He might make the final 53. And then you got 10 more guys here competing for roster spots as well. Um, Alan Ali, um, let's see Ben Sims from Baylor's there. Malik Knowles from KSU. Like there's, there's a lot of talent
0: in this UDFA class and at least three or four of them that should have been draft picks. Yeah. The three that we talked about Andre Carter, the second was on a lot of preseason watch lists as one of the top edges. Um, I thought, oh, because I rank edges and defensive ends differently. I was like, he's 6'7". He's definitely a DE. Watched his tape, was like, nope, he is definitely an edge. (laughs) He is 6'7", but he is bendy. He is fast. They do put him out in pass coverage. And man, can that guy clog a lane um, out there because of the wingspan. Very, very talented player. Yeah, I think he dropped because he went to Army. Ivan Pace Jr., one of my defensive gems, unknown why he didn't get drafted. There's a reason and it is not his on-field play. No. So there was a medical thing, or maybe he didn't wow people in interviews, any of those things. Not sure what that reason is. Sometimes we hear, sometimes we don't. Um, Very, very talented player, ultra aggressive, really quick, really quick, um, you know, mentally in terms of his ability to diagnose and trigger. Um, Absolutely the best blitzer from the inside linebacker position in in this entire class and production numbers back that up it's not just oh he almost got there um no idea why he didn't get drafted goes to goes to Minnesota and they have the Flores connection and I was like oh boy yeah he knows how to use that every place he's been he's had linebackers like this that he turns loose and he's got to be just Rubbing his hands, going, "Oh, really? You gave me that toy? Okay." And Jalen Williams is a sort of add-on, and even if he ends up on the practice squad, it's not a bad thing. Um, we got to see him in an All-Star game. Um, really fast, not the not the biggest guy, um, but brings speed to that room. Is certainly going to be able to contribute on special teams. I don't know if he makes the final fifty-three, but I also don't care. He's UDFA. Um, there, There is something there worth working on. Um, they're remaking their secondary. This is what UDFA is for. Mm-hmm.
1: Looking at the overall report card for this offseason, and this takes into account four entire categories, front office performance, co- coaching changes and or expectations, mm-hmm. um, offense, and then defense kind of overall. Uh, front office Still the same, even keel. Again, it's it's hard to judge them now. Like we like the draft, but you know we might not be able to judge this class for two or three years. But so we're, we're just kind of keeping it even until we see what what they do the their rookie year. But coaching can't be anything other than up. Yeah, I think based on what we have seen from Flores in the past as a as a defensive mind and a uh, a defensive teacher as well. Going from Donatel to him cannot be considered anything but an upgrade, and a massive one at that. Uh, Offense, also upgrade. Love Adam Thielen, but for what this team needs, Addison is an upgrade. Um, Now, prime Thielen, yeah, I'd I'd take prime Thielen, but he's not prime Thielen anymore. So they needed youth, they needed explosiveness. Addison's going to give them that this on paper should be a better offense. It really should. And that's terrifying because they were already really good. Yes. Uh, and then defense, I would. Oh, God, I'm trying to temper expectations here. because right. <laughs> I know the coaching is better. Right. They're also relying on a lot of young guys. Yep. They're not going to be worse. No, I don't think they can't be worse they have the potential to be way better. Agreed. For now, we're going to leave it even, but it's more of a, they're even in week one, by week 10, this arrow's going to be up,
0: probably. I think for sure, and the, we sort of separate coaching, so we have to sort of separate coaching from the overall result. Coaching we're excited about, we've said that several times. And Flores, to me, a lot of people are thinking about the gambling nature and everything else of his scheme, but he's going to be a stabilizing influence. Those real low lows that you made a video about last year aren't going to occur. First thing he's going to do is is solid those up and erase those and say, "Hey, we're not going to get gashed. We're not giving up 40 a game. That's not happening anymore." You know, we're going to we're going to bring that number down and then I think he's going to start to throw in the more exotic pieces that he's known for. You'll see those in the first few weeks, but those are also high risk, high reward. I think the first thing he's going to do is patch all the holes in the boat and get them stabilized. And then I'm with you by the end of the season. If that defense isn't, you know, midline by that point and ascending, I'd be a little bit surprised. The only trepidation, not even trepidation,
1: the only reason why I think it's going to take like a month or two to really kind of ascend and get going is because Andrew Booth, second year. Mm-hmm. Caleb Evans, second year. Makai Blackman, first year. Cam Bynum, third year. Like the old man in the corner room is Byron Murphy and he's 27. Like right. it's a young group. It's gonna take a little while, but yeah. they all fit better. Uh and I think that they will be better. It just it'll it you know, hockey stick curve I think is a good way to describe it, right? Yeah. You know, people talk about, like, growth on YouTube, for instance. It's a hockey stick curve. It's like you're just kind of you're, – you're steady, you're steady, you're steady, you're flat, and then, boom, the hockey stick hits. That's this defense to me. I don't know when that curve's going to hit,
0: but it's going to hit. Eventually. That's the question is when, when comes the boom? Here comes the boom? Great. When comes the boom? Is it six weeks in? That would be outstanding. Is it eight to ten weeks in? That would be about, I think, where we probably expect – Uh, Is it later than that? That could be, I don't want to say devastating because they already had that last year. That's the Mm -hmm. place they're coming from. It's a really low bar. It would be less than ideal. They still might be able to overcome it with an offense that was good and could be better, which is, that's a staggering thing to talk about. I mean, you've got stability at the quarterback. Cousins still playing at a high level. You've got good tackles. We talked about there not being a drop-off in the running back room. You've increased the receiving threats in in the wide receiver core. You've got a high-level tight end. On paper, this offense is really scary.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's why, you know, like when I have their 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 ceiling and floor projections, I really have to qualify it as they're a better team that will win less games. Yep. Like my ceiling for them is 11. Mm-hmm. But my floor for them is nine. Like, do you know how many teams in this series I'm going to have a floor of nine wins? Not a whole lot. Like, it's going to take something biblical for the wheels to fall off that much for them to win fewer than nine games. But I do think even at 11 wins, they're going to go farther in the playoffs. Like, they might not even win the division, but as a wild card, they're going to be more dangerous as a wild card this year than they were as a division winner last year. I truly believe that. They are a better football team that will win fewer games. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I think they'll win fewer games as well because regression is natural. And we talked about them being a mid-pack team. Uh, in terms of all their statistics over the course of an entire year. That is an accurate projection of who they were. Now, they got wins, and they deserve credit for that. If you win close games, that too is a skill in the NFL. They were able to do it, but it's not something you can count on year to year. The ball bounces funny. It's like sacks or interceptions. It's not. (laughs) If you have somebody that peaks way above their average in terms of wins or production in any category, regression is likely. Now they're going to regress. They might not regress very far. And I've got them at 12 wins because I think they could do that very easily. It depends on how fast that defense comes together and the offense continuing at a high level, even if it's not as high as level as last year, which it might not be. Fourth is tough to maintain, Mm -hmm. right? Even if they're seventh or eighth, they're still going to be scoring a lot of points. And I'm with you. They're going to be more dangerous and more diverse as they get into the playoffs and probably go farther because they're going to have better balance as a football team. My floor, a little bit farther down, it really is the same sort of caveat we have every time. Kirk Cousins gets injured, knock on wood, early. They're going to struggle to maintain that level of point production early in the season when that defense predictably probably isn't up to speed. And then that could cause them to be basically a 500-football team. Wow, so you have zero faith in Nick Mullins. I have less faith in Nick Mullins to do what Cousins did last year. Like, If you told me that Nick Mullins came in and played a significant number of snaps this year and the Vikings offense remained in the top 10, I would be very surprised. I don't know, Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft of the NFC Championship game. I'm not counting anything out of no, this it's, point. No, it's possible, but I'm <laughs> going with probable for these. So this is one where I have a ceiling of one win higher and a, and a floor of one win lower um, on some of the ones we've already done. We've reversed that position. But um, again, we both think that even though it's a lower win total, it's a better team.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that Vikings fans it's it's weird because I think that they're for once going to have uh, good mental health in the fall.
0: <laughs> I sure hope so because all it.
1: of their wins like just completely exhausted them yes. every single week. Their wins weren't comfortable. No, they're gonna have comfortable wins this year. they're gonna they're gonna wake up on a Monday morning and like feel well rested, <laughs> you know. They might be hungover but not in like the oh my god i hate my life hungover more in the wow what a great weekend hungover
0: yeah i had an extra beer and celebrated because that was a really good game you know they're going to be more
1: productive at work like (laughs) minnesota economy is going to be booming between september and december like it's going to be a good year for them you heard january who knows you heard
0: it here first midwest renaissance bootleg predicts (laughs)
1: uh once again reminder if you're a vikings fan and you've been with us for this long and you want to you know, draft as many Vikings as you possibly can, You know, go after that $15 million in prize pool for best ball this summer, you're going to get value on a lot of these guys now that you're not going to get in August. But if you are interested in that, head on over to Underdog Fantasy, use promo code BOOTLEG. They'll match your deposit up to $100. So it can be 10 20 anything up to $100. they will basically just double it and give you that to work with. Um, that would give you four extra entries, by the way, if you did the full 100. Four extra entries into Best Ball Mania, which is the biggest best ball contest ever, $15 million in prizes. Um, did I tell you that the guy who won last year was a subscriber?
0: No. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, no. And if we have so thoroughly excited you about the prospects of the Minnesota Vikings that you just cannot contain your enthusiasm and you need to go out and get some new Vikings gear, check out our clothing partner at homage.com. They've got an NFL license, so they have great shirts and hoodies for every team, multiple designs, all kinds of stuff. We love them. Check them out. Link's in the description. Every shirt or hoodie you buy helps support the podcast. We will see you tomorrow for NFC North wrap-up
1: overall, where we pick division winner. We pick offensive player, defensive player, coach of the year, all that kind of stuff. All the awards for the division. We wrap up the NFC North as a whole.
0: And then uh, next week, we are AFC North. Correct. We will be going on to the other northern partner, and then we move out west, down south, and finish up in the east. So we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And until then, later,
1: take care.